This week's episode is brought to you by the Wild and Predators, losing points all over the place. Thanks, fellas. Now it's our turn to, uh, sorry for the words, but put our balls on the table. How do you like that, man, folks? Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Steph Austin, locked into the Mile High Hockey Podcast for February 8th, 2016. Coming up on the show, fun at the All-Star Game for once, imagine that. A rough stretch of play for the Avs, uh, lots of guesswork, and more scoreboard watching, plus a little bit about what's been going on in the Denver court system, but before we play the whoosh, time to introduce your disembodied voices for the week. Joining us from the top of the MHH masthead once again is Ryan Murphy. How are you, sir? Howdy. Good. And back again from BS in Denver is Cheryl Bradley. Hi to you as well. Hello. Been a while since we last spoke. Been a couple of weeks. Took the All-Star break to give our stars a break. But since then, Colorado traveled to California for a back-to-back versus the flu, which they lost the first one, 6-1. to one. Uh, San Jose benefiting from the victory there. And then in L.A., they won 4-3, despite being outshot 38-19. to 19. So... That's how many years of your goalie being better than everyone else's King Twitter? Uh, Matt Duchesne, Gabriel Landeskog twice, and Nathan McKinnon score for the Abs, and Pickard's 35 saves were enough to get it done. Then went to Nashville, had some fun, played some games, carried some big dudes around on skates, and after the All-Star break, the Abs lost at home to the Chicago Blackhawks 2-1 and got outshot 42-23. Pickard makes 40 saves this time, and it wasn't good enough. Landeskog with a lone goal for Colorado, and I want to say this was a poor sleepwalked performance based on the opinions of others. I can't say for sure, because this was the first day of the new NHL.TV rollout, and I was therefore a video lock aired out of this one for most of the game. Good one. Thanks. On Thursday, Dallas come to town and walk out with the 4-3 overtime win, out shooting the Avs 44-24. Something is really rotten here. Avs goals from Blake Como, Nick Holden, and Carl Soderberg, who's rapidly turning into a star's killer in his own right. This game got stupid in the third period, with officials completely losing control, and Jack Skilly suffered a concussion, probably on an uncalled elbow in the third period. Uh, this was one of Barry's worst games of the season and that the overtime was lost on an awful giveaway from him was all too fitting. Finally, on Saturday, Colorado took on the Winnipeg Jets at home in a late one, did or did not get outshot hilariously, and won or lost as a result or in spite of that by a score of whatever the score was. It's Saturday when we're recording the show, because I'm house hunting Sunday, good luck me, and there's also some like rugby game or something going on Sunday, so (laughs) you guys know more than we do at this point. Go you! Um, why can't this team exit the zone? Because they're trying to do these fancy stretch passes instead of short, quick, get it out. Yep, I think that's a pretty good answer. I mean, they're trying to take advantage of their speed, you know, trying to get the puck up ice with momentum, and I understand, but... This team's getting through the neutral zone better than it has in the last three years since Coach Waugh has been a part of this team, and I think they could probably benefit from simpler passing. Back um, back in December when things started to turn around really well, we saw a well-supported three, four, sometimes even five-man break, excuse me, five-man breakout. Um but now, like you said, we are seeing these stretch passes, and we're also seeing a lot more chipping and punting of the puck 
than uh, than we had been during during the, the good months. Yeah, I think uh, right. Yeah, I think Ryan's dead on about the speed thing that I mean, that's a part of the whole chipping the puck into the offensive zone. Also, let's use our speed to uh, to beat the race to the puck. And I think that they're trying to rely on that too much. Um, Yeah, this is a fast team, but it needs to be a well-rounded team. You have to be able to do the the other things. You need to be able to do the grind it out. You need to be able to do the smart, controlled exits. Um, or you're never going to get very far. You're going to end up getting outshot and getting a lot of turnovers like like they are right now. You can see why they stick to it, because when it works, it works. Um, Carl Soderberg's goal against Dallas, the last game, is a perfect example. Uh, Eric Johnson makes a great up-ice pass to Blake Como, who again makes another great pass to Soderberg for a wide-open goal. But Oh, that Como know. pass. Oh. I mean, that is pass oh. of the year in my do you need I've some time? Do you, I, do you need some time on your own? I, I've I've had some no. time on my own. I'm not convinced I've had enough time <laughs> on my own. But lost in all of that is Eric Johnson's pass before that was pretty as well. And you can see why they try to stick to the long up ice pass because they really get a great advantage when it's successful. But that's the problem is it's not successful enough to constantly rely on it. I think that it's a good tool, but you've got, if that's the only tool you're using, if you're doing that so frequently, other teams are going to scout that. They're going to know it. And it's that's like what's happening. writing in all caps, you know? It's like using exclamation <laughs> points in every sentence. Sometimes yep. a period works, you know? Great and, analogy. And the, uh, the result we would expect if that's not working is to see a lot of turnovers in the neutral zone, which we're seeing a lot of failed attempts to enter the enemy offensive zone, which we're seeing and just more icing than a bakery, which we're also seeing. I think they iced the puck in Dallas, like three shift, three, three times in a row, one shift. Yep. I mean, come on back to back against Chicago and Dallas was a very tough two games for this defense. And <laughs> we're, honest enough to admit that they're overmatched against teams like that. I mean, they're going to have games where they need to chip the puck out against, you know, top possession teams like Dallas and Chicago. And we've been seeing, um, some, still some really solid play out of, uh, out of rookie Chris Begra, but he's also shown his rookiness a few times in the last couple of games as well. And he's also playing with defensive partners that have had their woes this season as well. Right. Uh, Zach Redmond has had a couple of really rough ones in a row. He's being swapped out for uh, for FNG in their game tonight. against with, with a, It'll be Begra with Bodnarchuk, um, who has also, you know, not really shown us a whole lot either. So I think I've heard that he's waiver eligible again today. So <laughs> cross your fingers that <laughs> someone makes the right decision. Place. That's tough. Uh, he's not in an, uh, an easy position because Chris Bigra right now. I mean, if he were playing with Francois Beauchemin, <laughs> again, I think we'd be seeing something a little different. I still like what I see out of him on the ice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's just that the last the last time we talked about Bigra, it was like he's playing really well, and you're not seeing a whole lot of those rookie moments. And now it's okay, we found them. Right, large enough sample size. Uh, that and I think better opponents as well. 
Yep. He, uh, you, you can only get completely worked by Jason Spezza if you're skating against Jason Spezza. And I think that there's a, an aspect to that that is actually a compliment to him while he's using him in those situations. He's not completely sheltering him. And he's also um, getting attention from opposing coaches. You know, he's not, uh, he's not being overlooked any longer. And I think that there's more pressure on him. So he's going to have more of those rookie moments because he realizes there's more pressure. We're going to see it out on the road here up here soon. You know, once uh, the other coaches start getting to make the matchups, uh, we're going to see him get tougher and tougher competition on the ice. That's probably true. Got the road trip coming up. Uh, I guess next week. Yep. Well, obviously we'll get to that later. Um, in the meantime, we had a couple of non uh, regular season hockey things going on in the background. One of them being, just a blast in Nashville at the All-Star Game. I watched the skills competition, and I didn't catch too much of the actual games. Um, but it seemed like even the skills competition was somehow fresher this year. Definitely. I think this was the most entertaining All-Star event that I think I've ever seen. It, it was. I really enjoyed it. Friday notwithstanding. Well, I didn't. What happened on Friday? They had a TV show on uh, NBC Sports with like interviews with players and Matt Duchesne playing guitar at a country show with uh, that no one watched. Zero people say, watched. I, I, th- I think that it's a, a neat idea, but I don't think it's something that they should televise. I think that should be something that's that's you know streamed online. Maybe they stream it through YouTube or something like that. Because I think there are some people that might find it interesting. Um, but, uh, yeah, I didn't watch it, so I wouldn't be one of them. <laughs> yeah, the, I, I didn't – I don't click on Buck Daddy a whole lot anymore, but I clicked on that one when I saw that they had 45,000 viewers worldwide or, or, or nationwide for that show. Yikes. That's pretty brutal. Um, but fortunately, the, uh, the skills competition was a blast. You know why? Cowboy hats. <laughs> you mean and, cheap vote getting ploys and sir. absolutely no. and yogger wigs and yeah absolutely Western I, icons. Loved it. I, I think that it's so much more fun when they're doing those kind of creative things and and making it entertainment i'm really disappointed that we didn't see any flaming sticks khl still has you know one <laughs> up on the all-star weekend but but I think I think that's what made it fun. Those gimmicky attention vote grabbing things. Oh, you you'll remember last year that Gaudreau wanted to do the flaming stick, and they because he didn't give them enough le- notice, they said they wouldn't let him do it. Oh, I did not know that. You Poor didn't guy. know that. Yeah, la- he had that idea last season, and uh, I think he, because he came up with it like really close to when the actual event was, the staff were like, "We don't have enough time to prepare for that. Sorry, can't do it." Probably an insurance thing too. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure it is. Yeah, I'm sure the K. That's when I first saw it. I'm like, well, that could probably only happen in the KHL because, right. you know, rules it's there. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we, we assume but they have rules there. Get there, you Somebody. know, I would imagine. I would imagine they're like stop signs in Greece. Only suggestions. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <guys> stop here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's. 
I don't know if that's intentionally a callback to what you were talking about before the show, but good lord. <laughs> um, but anytime you can get uh, PK Subban and Brent Burns trying to be funny, I think you're going to win the day. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. because Subban is honestly just a gem, and it I didn't realize that Burns was capable of lampooning himself that much. <laughs> Let's not overlook the skills either. I mean, Duchesne going down the ice with the puck hardly even touching, it's just unreal to me. With you one know, hand. With one hand. Yeah. It's unreal. I mean, a guy's just got as much skill as anybody in the game. It's unreal to watch. Well, and, and talking about Subban, uh, his uh, hacky sack of the puck going down the ice, that was really impressive, too. That was ridiculous. You guys have obviously spent a little bit of time practicing that. Yeah, AJ said that he, that Duchesne was out there practicing like every day, every practice and <laughs> stuff. <laughs> well, uh, so good showmanship. The PK won that, right? Yeah. E- yeah. And deservedly he, so. He deservedly so, but if they'd given it to, to Brent Burns for both the evolution of Brent Burns' event and uh, <laughs> he and he and Pavelski's kids coming out with hilarious help from Schneider and Luongo. Uh, I, you couldn't have argued against that either. Yeah. See, now I think bringing out kids, that's, that's a really cheap ploy. I, I, I don't, I didn't like that. I'm like, leave the, I mean, I think it's fun for the kids or whatever, but this is supposed to be about the players themselves. And I'd rather see the players figure out fun, creative things to do with other players or with themselves. Oh God, that could be taken really wrong. Um, (laughs) Or really right. (laughs) Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I'd rather not see the kids out there because I think that that's the idea. It's supposed to be about the players and about hockey and and stuff. I don't know. I'm a buzzkill. Yeah. (laughs) I think it, they're taking a nod from the baseball all-star game where during the home run derby, the kids are always a part of it, you know, just running bats up to the players and running balls out. And, you know, it's, it's a good, it's a good viewing experience for people at home that aren't true sports fans. And, well, I think uh, that I you could, well, I mean, I think that you could, you could incorporate kids into it, just not on in an actual skills competition. So have them bringing the pucks out there, have them setting stuff up, have them do, you know, that kind of stuff. But to have them going out there skating and, and shot. Replace the miniature nets on the passing part of the relay with kids holding sticks out. Yeah. How about uh, Subban jumps over a kid next year during his breakaway challenge? <laughs> this time I'll jump over three kids. <laughs> I don't know. That might be like jumping the shark. Uh, that might be a jumping the shark moment. Jumping something. Well, it's, it's in LA, not San Jose, so I think we're safe. <laughs> and then the, the new three on three format for the actual All Star game was actually successful. What I liked about it is that it. I don't know if it was the three on three or if it was the the money or what it was, but these guys actually tried. It was it was an actual game where I mean, yeah, they weren't going at full steam watching Duchesne not really 
you know, scream up the ice to, you know, to, you know, intercept a pass or something like that. It was obvious they weren't doing full speed, but they were, they, uh, the goalies were trying. I could just, just imagine the, the GMs and the coaches out there that were cringing with some of those saves. Mm-hmm. Right. I think the goalies had the hardest time that game. Oh yeah. I mean, more open shooting lanes. I mean, no one's taking slap shots obviously, but uh, yeah, they were making real saves. Uh, at least they only had like 10 minutes per goalie. So, right. It was on and off uh, pretty quick. Yeah, you know, until they reach the, uh, if you make the second game, of course, then it's 20 minutes of goalie. Right. Which uh, Matt Duchesne's central team did not make the second game, so um, I didn't bother watching it. So, it <laughs> <laughs> Well, John Scott wasn't on Matt Duchesne's team, so that was never going to happen. Right. Somehow Which... the, uh, the John Scott factor became more important than the home team factor because you would think if they were going to rig it one way or the other, it would be that the home team's division made it to the final. You think they rigged it? Nah, but if they were going to. The, the players had more fun pushing John Scott onto the stage than they did trying to give the fans predators. It did. Yeah, I mean, this absolutely. topic's been discussed to death, but that was fun. Um, and he played well. <laughs> I mean, knocked somebody on their ass and uh, stole the puck and scored, right? Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's interesting what happens when you give a player talented players to work with, how <laughs> how they can start scoring again. You know, I mean, this is this is a guy who wasn't, you know, a total bum when he was younger, when he was in juniors and stuff. He you know, it's not like he didn't have skill at all. We all he have just, to remember that, you know, in order to get to this level, you need to be the best possible player as a scorer just to get to this level. I mean, it's hard to remember that somebody like Jack Skilly was an eighth overall draft pick, you know, and now he's barely a fourth liner on our team. So these guys were good once upon a time. Yeah. Um, so all-star game, the actual game I still found a little bit rough to watch, but it's so much better than the unwatchable that it's been for the last several years that, yeah, well done. All-star yep. games are a little bit tough in this day and age when anyone can watch any team on any night. Um, not like it used to be where this was like maybe the one of two or three times of the year you got to watch the best of the best play. Now you can do that every day. So it's a good point. All-star game kind of loses its luster when you see the stars all the time. You guys think they tweak the format next year at all? I think that Friday night debacle goes away. Yeah, I think to keep the three-on-three, three, I wonder if um, how they draw the teams changes. Just uh, given the exclusions from the event, you know, the, the notable names. I, I think the fan voting process gets tweaked dramatically. Absolutely. Um, I don't think they give us the whole NHL to choose from anymore. Do you think that we stick to divisions like that? I, I'm not sure they do. They might stick to divisions I've, yeah. for the three-on-three three tournament factor, or they might not. I don't know. Yeah. I think they will. I think they'll give it another year of a similar format other than the voting. Yep. No more fan voting for captains. <laughs> time thing. Yeah. The novelty of war. If they do it again, the novelty will have worn off. Yeah. Yeah. So it, uh, despite the NHL's best efforts, the all-star weekend ended up working very well. So, uh, I seriously, there was, there was, 
one moment when I was contemplating the idea that the NHL masterminded this whole thing about creating this, this rallying cry behind John Scott and then deciding, yeah, we're totally going to let him play now because you guys all want it and everything. But really that's what they wanted all along because it was going to drive up ratings. I could see, I could definitely see that perspective. I was wondering if the NHL was playing heel myself until that Players' Tribune piece came out. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, they may have been playing him, though, too. And maybe their thought was, well, it's a win-win situation. We either get him out, which is a win, as far as they're concerned, or we get a whole lot of people rallying behind him and drive up viewership, which is a win. So I don't think that they were sweating it as much as people may have thought. Right. Totally agree. Perfect spin move. Now, what they screwed up on was not like uh, forcing people to write in John Scott as the MVP. That was like, are you seriously? You are not. <laughs> you haven't learned yet. <laughs> but again, maybe that was I don't know. Maybe that was intentional. Oh, well, one weekend out of the year barely matters, but it was nice. Matt Duchesne got the recognition and, uh, you know, it's fun seeing John Scott not be a total goon for an entire weekend. You know, and that, I'd still go back to that douche, that Duchesne goal on the second, his second um, round where he just one hands it five hole with speed. It's like, I mean, that was, a, it wasn't like just a dink. He <laughs> totally beat the goaltender on that and he just sort of, one-handed it in it's like damn dude there was Why force behind that puck it was like, i know it's like how strong is this dude why are you so good maddie make us all feel bad about ourselves just when we try to skate <laughs> asshole <laughs> all right so the all-star game was fun but less fun on the non-hockey side of things was uh a lengthy Civil trial, you as we'll remember from uh, Simeon Varlamov's legal proceedings, finally happened this w- last couple of weeks, and uh, Cheryl and AJ with BSN just destroyed it. Awesome coverage out of you guys. Um, Thank you. I think that everyone was really openly appreciative of you guys as they should have been. Oh, absolutely. We got just thanks to everybody for the for the accolades and the support on that. We really appreciate it. Yeah, I'd like to say uh, personally thanks from our readership as well. Maui Hockey obviously still reads you guys, and uh, that coverage was the best there was. So, um, well, I'm for any, I think that everybody's probably familiar with the verdicts at this point. Um, but why don't we just start by running those down real quick? Um, okay, so there were five charges, um, three uh, levied by the plaintiff, um, uh, and then two by the defense. And the three for the plaintiff were assault, battery, and um, outrageous. Oh gosh, what was it? Um, I don't have it in front of me. Um, like out- outrageous emotional distress or something like that. And then the defense was, um, malicious prosecution and, uh, abuse of 
the pro abusive process. And um, the judge basically outlined um, three specific requirements for each of those charges or each of those um, complaints that they had to meet all three. And if any one of those three was not met, then you had to find in favor of the opposing party. Um, and then for the assault and battery, if, uh, if both of those were found in favor of the defense, then you couldn't consider the third one because there would be no, um, basically you, there couldn't be any like a severe emotional trauma if neither of those things, if the assault and battery didn't happen the way she said. Um, I think that she lost the jury pretty much on the first day because she admitted on the stand that she lied to the police, that what happened between them, according to her. So her official story now on under oath on the stand was not what she gave the police. And she said straight up, it's not what I told the police and um, that she lied and that she gave all these excuses for lying, that she was um, forced into it, that she was uh, manipulated into it. Um, there were all these reasons why she supposedly lied. But the fact remains, she did. Farley did not stomp on her. He did not, you know, giggle like a maniac as he was doing it. He didn't slam her head into the ground. He didn't drag her across the room by her hair. All of the things that she said to the police when it first happened. And on stand under oath, she said, no, that's not how it happened. And, and the way that she described it still would legitimately be abuse, though it wouldn't be even, even if they had found, I think in, in favor of the assault and battery, I still don't think it would be the, the outrageous conduct because, um, she testified that he, uh, grabbed her hair and pulled her head towards the floor. She couldn't remember whether her face was actually touching the floor. She couldn't remember whether it was carpet or tile, which, you know, you can make your own decisions about that. Um, she said that he pushed her with his feet. Um, he, she did say kick her, kick her in the chest. Um, but there were absolutely, this is the thing, there were absolutely no bruises to back up what she said. The thing that really got strange, though, is when she was describing this whole incident that happened in the second bedroom. So all this abuse, supposedly him him uh, abusing her happened in the, the main bedroom, um, the master bedroom. And he supposedly threw her down in the bed and she, or threw her back or kicked her back. And she hit her head on the nightstand. Um, and then he left. And for according to her testimony, she got up and chased after him. Which, again, is not the behavior of somebody who is systematically being abused. You don't go chasing after him. You go and you slam the door shut and you, you lock yourself in. Um, but instead, she chased him because he had her phone or... So I can't I, I can't remember whose phone it was at that point, if it was her phone or his phone, because there were different times when she was chasing him and she chased him around the the apartment. And then he went in the second bedroom 
and tried to drag her into the second bedroom. And she was trying to explain how she got caught in the door, her leg and her body kind of got caught in the door as he was trying to pull her into the bedroom. And that's when I said, there's something very seriously wrong here with this story because I'm trying to picture it. I'm trying to picture in my head her getting pulled into the room, but the doors being closed. She didn't say she was pulling the door. It, I just couldn't, I couldn't picture it at all. And later when Varley finally got on the stand and told his side of the story, he said that by the time he got into the room, he was trying to push her out of it. And his description of it matched perfectly to what I could picture. It matched perfectly to the bruises that she had. Everything fell into place. Everything clicked. And that's when I thought, you know, she's full of shit. And it, it angers me so much. I mean, I'm happy for Varley. I'm happy that he got the, the call his way. Um, the, uh, the malicious prosecution uh, went in her favor um, because they couldn't, they didn't establish all three aspects of it, which is essentially saying that she purposely filed a report with the police to ruin him. And there were three aspects of that. And I, I didn't think that they would get all three anyway, because there wasn't evidence that, sh- that really showed that that was her motivating factor. Now, abusive process she got because it it looked like her motivating factor was money, money and a green card. So that's why they went through abusive process because it, they, that she brought the claim against him, filed the, the criminal charges against him for reasons other than justice was that one. But, um, but yeah, I'm telling you the chick, she's a little crazy. She, I mean, very early on, there were things that she said that AJ and I both looked at each other and, you know, we both agreed that this was, you know, crazy chick syndrome. And, you know, the thing that makes me so angry is the biggest victim in all of this is not Varley. It's the next woman that tries to press charges against an athlete or a celebrity. Right. Um, especially in hockey, people are going to point to this and they're going to say, see, see, they're, they're just, she's just after the money. And the likelihood that that is true is so remote because 4% at most of all reported cases are false accusations, but they're the ones that get the most publicity. And this is going to get a ton of publicity if somebody, then not if, when the next person comes forward, and and Avenia just totally, Avenia totally just screwed that person big time. Yep, I, I wrote about that a little bit in my reaction piece, you know, uh, based mostly upon what you wrote, and uh, I, it just bummed me out. I mean, it's not, it wasn't a victory, you know, it, it cleared our starting goaltender's name, but it, it was not a victory in any respect. Well, and it, I, I don't think it actually even cleared his name because those people who thought he was guilty from the start continue to think he's guilty. I mean, people right. are, are you know, going all over social media saying he's still this monstrous person disregarding all of the facts, especially her own testimony. I mean, they sit there and they say, yeah, but he's a monster because he stomped on her. No, he didn't. She even said he didn't. 
how can you keep saying that? But they're going to continue to say that. So it, it's, you know, she succeeded. She got what she wanted. She may not have gotten the money, but boy, she she ruined his name. She got back at him. So in a way, she won. Um, yeah. And all of that is unfortunate. And and I'm glad that there's at least some resolution for Varley. But in the end, the only real victim is or victims are the next are the are the people who really, truly are going, you know, have been abused. So uh, you, she, uh, you gave us her story in pretty decent detail. What was the okay. Varlamov side of it? Um, Varley's side of it. Okay. Um, so I'll go back to the beginning of, of that day. They um, went to the Halloween party and her testimony was that he was stinking, falling down drunk. Um, they brought in a uh, server from the chop house who has 14 years, 13, 14 years experience as a server. Chop House requires all of their employees to go through regular training on how to spot uh, people who are uh, drunk. And she used that training and said, no, he wasn't. She was, but he wasn't. And there was tons of talk about who was drunk and who wasn't drunk, which to me really was a moot point because, um, well, one of the things... Uh, she bursted into, after having a fight with him, he got up, walked away. This is at the chop house. And she followed him into the men's restroom um, where Cody McLeod and Patrick Bordalo were taking a leak. Um, they were their urinals whipped out. And she comes walking in. And Varley's terribly embarrassed. He said he was extremely embarrassed. Um, told her that she shouldn't be there. She continues to yell at him. Um, her complaint was that he was ignoring her because he was on his phone, paying more attention to his phone. And she thought that he was, uh, communicating with other women. And, um, he eventually, so the Bordy and McLeod leave. She eventually, he eventually gets her to leave and then he leaves. Um, <laughs> this was actually kind of funny. So, uh, she comes as soon as she leaves. Bordy's standing there talking with with uh, with Varley, and <laughs> she comes storming up, is uh, screaming again. And this is Bordy's testimony as well as Varley's. Um, and then Bordy testified that he asked Varley, "How do you say calm down in Russian?" And Bo and Varley told him, and so he said <laughs> to her you know, in Russian, calm down. And she looked at him and Bordy is so funny on the stand. He goes, and she turned to me, she, she looked straight at me and she said, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> and he raised his voice and it echoed through the courtroom. And it was just so funny. <laughs> oh my God. Bordy was just the most hilarious witness ever. But, um, but anyways, so what did he expect she would do. Come yeah, on. exactly. I mean, exactly. I, I, I don't blame her. I would have would have done the same thing. But it was just very, very humorous because everybody else up to that point in the trial kept saying, you know, uh, dancing around the curse words, saying, you know, mm -hmm. she said something in Russian that I don't want to repeat here or, you know, that kind of stuff. And Bordy's just like laid it out there. Mm. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, so so. Uh, uh, Varley got tired, you know, of her doing this whole yelling thing and said, you really need to go home. Um, sent her off. She got in a cab and went home. He uh, stayed around. This was about 11 
or so. Um, he stuck around with the the players for another hour. They ended the night with a Jaeger bomb. The whole team did a team shot. Um, and he and Bordy and P.A. Parento uh, went left together and went to the spill lounge. Um, they were there for, you know, a couple hours until it closed. Sometime after it closed, um, Bordy and P.A. left and Varley stayed. And he stayed, he said he stayed because he didn't want to go back to the apartment because she had been, you know, yelling at him and stuff. Understandably, he just didn't want to go back. Now, Spill Lounge is about um, a mile or so at most from his apartment. So logically, they never talked about this, but logically, why would he leave with um, Bordy or Parento and go back to their place when they live further away from his home? Here he could just the bartender was like, yeah, stick around. Um, so he just stayed there. They, uh, b- the bartender and he spent the next few hours talking about three, three and a half hours, um, just shooting the shit and, uh, talking about, you know, the, the defense attorney Mueller was really trying to pound, you know, like get, get to this idea that wh- how could you be talking for three hours what were you talking about? That, that's the just... plaintiff's attorney, Mueller. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Although I can see attorney. why, as the course of this trial went on, you might forget that Vavrinuk was not actually the defendant. Right. <laughs> yeah, very much. Because she had two witnesses and and Varley had half dozen coming in. Um, but, uh, but anyway, so... Uh, they apparently I, I, the way I look at it, though, you've got this guy who can sit there and talk with the professional athlete. Of course, he's going to do whatever he can to get in good with that guy, because who knows where that's going to lead? Well, I might interject here. That place is very, very famous for staying open after hours for this team. Yes, uh, that too. That rooftop is very commonly frequented by. Well, actually, it just closed recently. It's shut down. But, you know, that's not uncommon behavior. I mean, those guys right. stay out very late after games at that particular bar. Yeah, they do. They absolutely do. And and but and one of the thing is one of the things is that they do stay late and they do do it on such a regular basis that they're very strict about alcohol sales are done. And sales are done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but <laughs> but yeah, sale, sales sales definitely done. Um, but there, but so Varley's testimony was that he didn't keep drinking that, you know, the bar that, that they were done with the alcohol and he didn't keep drinking and he's not a big drinker. So personally, I believe him. He's not a big drinker. Why would he sit around and continue to get hammered? You know, I, I don't, anyway. Um, so he's, so he left around five 30, got back to his place. He walked home, got back to his place about five 45. She contended that he was falling down drunk, literally falling down, that his costume was torn, that he, um, that it was filthy with dirt from falling down, that there were blood drops on it. And they, the defense showed security footage of his apartment complex, both outside in the lobby and in the elevator. His costume was fine. There, it was not dirty. It was not torn. He was not stumbling. He was very, very clearly somebody who was sober. Um, he, uh, 
uh, ended up, he didn't have his key to get up the elevator because she had taken it in her purse. So he got, he waited until the concierge came back and he could, and who could let him up. He went upstairs. As soon as he walked in, she heard him. This is about, you know, around 6 a.m. by the time he finally got up there. She heard him come in, and as he he was just finishing taking off his shoes in the entryway, she gets into his face, starts yelling at him, punches him in the jaw, like full decks him in the jaw. He's surprised. You know, he's saying, you know, what the hell are you doing? And she's cursing at him, yelling at him, um, then punches him again. And at that point, he realized he was he was scared. He was scared for the situation of she's totally out of control and she's going to keep hitting me. So he grabbed her arms to stop her from hitting him and she starts kicking at him. And so he's like, I need to get her away from me. So he moves her backwards into the master bedroom and kind of pushes her down onto the bed, which was really funny. Him trying to explain that without it sounding like he's throwing her down on the bed. It was like, no, I put her down. No, I put her down. <laughs> like, no, Varley, I'm sure you did a little bit of a push there. But um, but anyway, so he did that. He started walking away. She did chase him. He, like, went into the kitchen. She chased him into the kitchen and uh, grabbed a glass, threw it at him, narrowly missing his head, um, then took another glass, threw that one again, narrowly missing his head. He realized, okay, now I'm really scared because she's really trying to hurt me. So he turned around and went to go into the second bedroom to lock himself in there. She followed him again um, and tried to push her way into the bedroom. He was finally able to, and she was like, she had first stopped clo- the door, closing of the door with her leg. So kind of slammed against her leg. And then she was pushing. He was trying to hold it. She got half her body in. And finally he was able to get her hand on her shoulder, shove her out, close the door, lock it. And he <laughs> took off his costume and his t-shirt that he was wearing under it, hung it up in the closet and <laughs> went to bed. I just thought it was really funny that it was all hanging. There was a picture of it hanging in the closet. And again, it wasn't torn. It wasn't dirty. Um, there was no wig. She said he had his wig on backwards. He never even was wearing a wig <laughs> that night. Um, and and so the next morning, and this part of the story is pretty similar for both of them. So the next morning, he comes out into the kitchen. She's in there cleaning up. Um, and he just leaves without saying anything to her or other than uh, I'm going to go get lunch. This is about 11 in the morning, 12. He goes down to a restaurant across the street. And while there, she texts him to say, you need to contact, you know, here's my lawyer's number. You need to contact my lawyer. Um, I'm going to get investigators over here to, to look at my injuries. And I'm going to tell them that you beat me up. And that's when he called his um, agent and his agent said, you need to go back to the apartment. You need to pack her stuff up, put it out, take it down to the lobby. Um, you need to disconnect, like cut off her uh, access to your credit cards because she was on uh, at least one of his credit cards. She was allowed to use it. You need to cut that off and you need to change the locks. Um, and so Varley went to go do that and, uh, she came, saw him across the street going back to the place. So she went back 
and um, was screaming at him through the door. And she he she had still had a key. So he's like trying to hold on to the door. But he was on the phone like the his agent was still on the phone and he could hear her screaming through the door. Um, you let me in right now or I'm going to um, go to the police. And he didn't. So she did. And then her testimony was that um, her friend that helped her, the only person that she could turn to, which was this makeup artist that she had just met the day before, um, was her only friend, despite the fact that the defense laid out that she had three other friends that she could have contacted that she had met before and, and knew much better than this person. But um, Sonova, that's the girl's name, Diana Sonova, she she had a um, ex-husband slash fiance. They had gotten divorced and then were back together, who's an attorney. And that very day, she went down to their, um, was it that day? No, the next day, she went down to his office before going to the police, signed a contract with him for a civil, for him to represent her in a civil suit. Then she went to the police and at the police station, she swore up and down that she had no interest in his money, just justice. Uh, and was he not an entertainment lawyer too? Was that not a special? No, 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 no. He wasn't an entertainment lawyer. He was a civil litigation lawyer. Um, she, uh, he, the entertainment lawyer was uh, Olaf Mueller who um, was her attorney for the trial. There were different people. She had a falling out with Sonova. Uh, apparently she lived with, with them for uh, Sonova and Abrams for a month. And during that time she took advantage of them, um, wasn't giving them any money, uh, was, you know, allowing, like expecting them to support her, and um, apparently she was coming on to Abrams, walking around half naked. Sonova, essentially Sonova got jealous and kicked her out. And that's when uh, um, they were dropped. Her uh, Abrams was dropped as the lawyer. And she eventually went with this guy, Mueller, who is part of a big firm in L.A. But I looked him up and it's really interesting because they normally cover um, her right, like workers, uh, like, uh, work claim employment claims, like, um, being, being fired for the wrong, you know, for wrong reasons, for discrimination, whatever, um, her sexual harassment in the workplace and stuff. This is like all, the best for the best I could tell their first domestic violence case. Hmm. And, and it, and it seemed clear, um, that it was the case Mueller I think did more damage to her than he helped her. Which was the lawyer that sold the interviews to the Russian papers? That was Abrams. Okay. That was Abrams. He uh, <laughs> was organizing, you know, arranging her different media appearances and handling the collection of the money and then dispersing to her, her amount. Um, but then when she dropped him, she started arranging her own interviews and that's where more of the Russian TV interviews came in. She did it herself. I'm glad that got cleared up there, actually. that It's kind of ambiguous in uh, a lot of the reporting from all the sources. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, she said she claimed that she was manipulated into doing those interviews, that she didn't really want to do them. And again, just like she said, she didn't really want to lie to the police, but she was manipulated into doing it. She never told the police that she struck first. She never told the police that she was chasing him around. Um, she never told the police that he tried to go into the second bedroom. Is she didn't tell truth any, to any of that, you know, just a hint of truth anyway, that she may have been manipulated by people who saw a money opportunity. Oh, yeah, I, I, I don't doubt that. But I also. I can see her listening, like her not telling the police that she struck him first. OK, I get that. Um, and I can see her maybe, you know, leaving out the part where she was chasing him. OK, I get that. Sure. But to blatantly lie to authorities, she made that decision on her own. She may have been encouraged to do so by somebody else, but that was her decision. You know, a, a reasonable pers person who was truly abused, I would think, would say, I'm not going to lie to them. I'm going to tell them what happened. What happened is bad enough. Why do I need to exaggerate? That's only going to look bad on me. And and doing these interviews, also doing these interviews, it's like she could have said no. No, I don't want to. And she was more than happy to do them. They they read transcripts from the conversations she had with her um, friend Elena, who had recorded her phone calls, the one who totally sold her out in Russia. I mean, mm -hmm. God, bad friend. But um, but it was bad. She's talking about how much money she's getting for these appearances and, and how much money she can get out of him. And, you know, she clearly knew what she was doing. She studied law when she was in Russia. So it's really? not like she's – yeah, she's not – it's not like she's totally – like ignorant of, of legal situations. It's just sad. Yeah, it is. It's just unfortunate to hear. There's, there's nothing good in any of this. And one of the worst parts of it is just like how purely sketch her, any representation she had the whole way through had been. Yeah. Like it's hard to really get a, to, to, I mean, yes, we have all of the different, story out there in the world now but it's really tough to say um how much talk you can put in anything from her side because she's not been yeah from our from our eye represented very well yeah she, there's no telling what kind of advice she's gotten along the way here that yeah I, and that's true and i do agree with that but i think that there's i i don't think she's quite the victim that people think she is i don't i i think that she knew exactly what she was doing um, I think that maybe, like I said, in that initial police interview, leaving out certain details, I think that she could have been subject to what somebody else suggested she do. But from then on out, uh, you know, bringing the civil trial herself, I mean, they... I don't know. I just, I don't think that she was that, that big of a victim. She want, wanted to stay in the United States. She's already had a child. Right. You she know? It, yeah, so she found a way to, to stay here. Now, whether she had the child in order to stay here, that, I, I have no idea. But, um, she's, she's not dumb. She's not, she is definitely a smart girl. You could Whoever. see that. Now she owes one hundred and twenty six thousand dollars for abusive process. Yeah, they've already they've already uh, indicated they're going to appeal. Right. So unfortunately, this hasn't gone away completely. Yep. Again, sad.
It is, you know, and I, I went into this. I mean, I, I'll talk more about this in my uh, opinion piece that, that's going to be posted next week. But I went in it, into it wanting to believe her. And I, you know, not because I wanted Varley to be guilty, but I didn't want another false accusation out there because there's there seems to be quite a few recently. Um, and I don't mean cases that have been dropped because of lack of evidence or anything like that. I'm talking about people admitting that they lied to the police. There have been a, a couple situations recently where women have admitted that they weren't truthful. And um, I, I didn't want that to be another case here because, it, like I said, it's just going to damage victims that much more. Well, I look forward to reading that. Please put it out. I do as well, and I'm sure that you and AJ both are thrilled to get back to full-time hockey coverage. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I have decided that I made a good choice in not pursuing a law career. I was going to do it for a while, and I'm really glad I didn't. Because <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, court is hell, man. I used to want to be on a jury, and now I absolutely don't. Oh, my God. It was painful. The whole thing I've still painful. never had jury duty. I have. Neither have I. <laughs> I. I've been a registered voter for now 13 years, and I've never once been a jury. I had jury duty at the end of last year and didn't have to sit on the trial. Yeah. Lucky, all of you. Um, so let's get back to hockey by mentioning, hey, Miko Rantanen had a four-point night last night. Woohoo! <laughs> it's a good transition. Thank you. Um, One goal, three assists. He's, uh, I mean, if, if Skilly is injured for very long, you think we might see a call-up? Oh, hell yeah. I think we were. I think we were going to see a call up soon, anyway. Yep, I think he at least gets another three game look, you know, before he hits that nine games, and it happens before the end of the year. So and I don't think I, I think he sticks. I don't think he goes back down. I think he gets more than those three games. That was my next question. He'd have to really fall on his face, I think, in yeah. order to get sent back down. But I don't I, think I, that happens yeah. either. I think that it's clicked. I think the North American game is, is finally clicked, and that's what we're seeing now. His his skill at this level, um, on this ice, I, I the kid's good. I think he also already would have been up. I mean, they said he was going through a bit of an injury during the World Junior Championship, and you know it was pretty apparent even when he got back to San Antonio that he wasn't quite healthy yet. I think he even sat out a couple of games, but I think he would have been up here already. I think without the WJCs, he definitely would have. Um, but I, I don't think that the injury necessarily, uh, maybe he would have been up a week sooner. You know, maybe he would have been up already. But uh, I think the WJCs more than anything is what pushed things back for him. But good for him to participate in that, to win. I mean, what a great experience Be for the them. captain of that team. Yeah. Yeah, looking forward to seeing what he's going to bring now that he's had a little bit more time to get used to uh, smaller ice rinks and just the the pro North American hockey game. But also be a goal scorer, you know, be relied upon to put points on the board. So speaking of points on the board, I'm going to read you guys three numbers. They are 58, 56, and 55. Oh, I know so, what that is. What is that? <laughs> that's, where, that's the the Colorado's points, Nashville's points, and what was the last one? Fifty-five. Minnesota. In that order, even. Woohoo! I I have to. I'll confess. I was just looking at that. <laughs> <minutes> ago. <laughs> yeah. 
I studied. Um, yeah, Minnesota won eight and one in their last ten. That's uh, less than that. <laughs> state of hockey is in a state of panic. <laughs> yeah, I read a, an article. I don't, you know, normally go over there, but the um, oh, what's the wild SBN? Hockey wilderness. Hockey wilderness. Yeah, I went over there recently and read an article, and boy, they're depressed. I would be too. <laughs> so depressed. There's just not a lot of outs there. It's not like, uh, like, hey, we've got these future pieces that might be better next year. You know, then it'll all click. Like, no, their core is getting older, and mm-hmm. yeah, they've got a coach that is not working right now. And they've got 98 million dollar players saying, "I don't know. We have no confidence." Oh my God! Yeah. Yeah, Parise and his, I don't know, that was pretty telling. Um, and it's not going to get any easier for him soon. They're playing St. Louis tonight. So, um, Speaking of St. Louis, I have another number for you. 66. Only eight points behind St. <laughs> Louis. Okay. <laughs> Dream big. Walk hey, you know, it's possible. It's possible got to start playing a little bit better to talk about that 66 yep st louis has been playing pretty well too i mean they've got a winning record in their last 10 um but colorado do have two games in hand from coming from nashville and three coming from minnesota so i mean this the points lead is hardly secure in any way um but it is real and both those teams are struggling right now you mean they have games in hand That's, that's the what i intended to mean I meant what you know. Yeah. Colorado's got the points on the board. Games. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I'm, I, AJ is a big proponent of real points versus theoretical points. And I'm, you know, I'm with him on that. The, the games in hand, I, I I disagree with the, uh, the concept of counting them as, as wins as, as the end of the season. at least. Yeah. Once you're in the last few games, by all means. Absolutely. I, and I don't look at them as like, hey, they have two two games worth of points coming. I look at it as, you know, Colorado are up two points on a team that does have two more games to play than they do. So, yes, they're ahead. Maybe don't break out the champagne yet. Like, it's right. kind of a reality check more than uh, not, they're not actually ahead. Right. It's kind of the way I look at it. But with the absurdly god-awful start to the season with how poorly their play has been trending recently to see them still maintaining not just a playoff spot but the number one wild card spot does this last it could that's what you know and that's why i don't think that st louis spot is that big of a of a of a dream i think that it Yes, it's it's not an easily attainable goal, but I think that St. Louis can be caught if Colorado gets back to playing the way they were that got them to this spot, not the way they've been playing the last couple weeks, but back to where they were before. And um, and St. Louis it levels out if they they stay what they've been doing if they continue with the six three one kind of record. Uh, and the Avs get back to doing their, you know, seven one one or seven, you know, two one record. I think that it's possible. 
you know, St. Louis is down with the dregs too with goal differential. I mean, they're not Dallas and Chicago. They're not plus 30, plus 27. I mean, they're even. They're even. Yeah. Which is same as Colorado nearly. I guess we're minus one now, but. Matt, that's an insignificant difference. Right. Precisely. I mean, uh, they're winning close games and uh, more likely than not, you were going to split close games. So they're due for some losses. Hopefully, I'm, I will never be opposed to watching St. Louis lose a hockey game. Correct. Um, I, I kind of want them to get Steve Ott back so I can make fun of his contract again. It's like, <laughs> you can't make fun of a guy's contract when his leg's broken. I mean, come on, it's not nice. Yep. Um, so as, as we're running out of time here, let's go ahead and start looking at next week. We've got four games for the Avs this week, starting on Tuesday at home against the struggling Vancouver Canucks. That's 7 o'clock local on Altitude. Then on Thursday, Colorado embark on a three-game trip through the Northern Floorthese Division, starting in Ottawa, 530 Mountain on Altitude. On That's again on Thursday. They travel to Detroit the following day for a back-to-back against the stupid Red Wings, 530 Mountain again on Altitude. And finally on Sunday, they arrive in Buffalo for a really early one. It's 1030 AM Mountain against the Sabres. The Av yeah. site says it's an Altitude game, but that's scheduled like an NBC game. So, you know, Check your local listings, etc. Um, I look at that and I see four very winnable games. What do you guys see? I agree. Yeah. Uh, I think the likelihood of winning four is probably low, but three wins I think is very likely. Agreed. And uh, you know, and with with Varley back, I think that that's going to help too. Um, you know, it, it, some people would say that this experience would make him, which would make it so that he came out flat or he wouldn't do well. But as testimony showed, I mean, the day that he um, got out of jail, they had a game and he won. And I, 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 and he did not want to play in that game. No, he did not. And, you know, it really made him so human because, you know, he, he talked about and, Wah talked about that conversation and that he had, you know, broke down crying and was like, I don't want to play. I, I don't want to play. And Wah's response was, you know what? Go play. You lose, you lose. We don't care. We're behind you. Just go play. And um, it really, really gave insight into why these players love him so much. Wah, I mean. But anyway, yeah. so I think with Varley back, I think it's up. They're absolutely winnable. So I'm going to say seven points. Book it. Sure. Go with six points. Yeah, I'm going with six, too. Usually I'm the pessimist, so I feel like I need to take the the big shot on this one. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I mean, back-to-back, second game against the Red Wings is going to be tough. Yeah, they'll lose it in overtime. See how that seven points happens? Uh -uh. Seven to one, eight to one over the Sabres. Ryan O'Reilly with the minus six. God, please plus minus <laughs> remember that time brett lebda was minus three in a nine to three victory i'll never forget that shit that was hilarious um but yeah if he wants to go minus a billion against the avalanche i'll never turn that down i mean hey it's better than the ex-abs curse biting you yeah on uh, their sbn front page today they've got why is ryan o'reilly in a slump <laughs> well gosh I believe he's just uh, regressing to career averages, boys. Get used to it. 
could be, or he could be slumping. Who knows? I, yeah. A lot of people think he's a fantastic player. Um, I think there's no question that he's really good. Yep, just don't rely on him as a goal scorer. Like, fantastic is another step up from really good. Um, so, there's a lot of very winnable games this week, and everyone that you've heard from today thinks they'll win quite a few of them, which means hold on to your butts, this will be a rough week. <laughs> but whichever way it goes, you guys know you can find out here um, with us on the Mile High Hockey Podcast. We'll be back next week on same time as usual on Monday. Um, as you guys listen to us, it, in the, it's in the future. We don't know what happened with Winnipeg, but uh, Colorado could be in an even better playoff spot by, the, by then before you hear from us again. So my, my numbers in the standings are wrong, but that's not my fault. <laughs> that's time's <laughs> fault. Um, you can always catch the newest. Whoa, whoa, that was fucking loud. Okay, let's try that one more time. You can always catch the newest Avs news and updates at milehighhockey.com and also keep an eye out for the work from Cheryl and AJ and everyone else over at bsindenver.com. Um, newest Avs news and updates at milehighhockey.com, facebook.com slash milehighhockey, twitter.com, milehighhockey is the handle there. Follow the podcast on iTunes. You can rate, review, download it straight to your ear holes as soon as I push it every week. Follow us on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash milehighhockeypodcast and mixcloud.com slash milehighhockeypodcast. Four games this week. None of them are uh, extremely world-beating foes, but you never know. See you next week. Keep your heads up. Were you on the phone when so-and-so said this objection hearsay sustained move on, Mr. Mueller? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it was so frustrating by the end of it. I'm just like, I can't even contain my face. AJ is laughing. He's like your face right now. If the jurors looked over here and saw this, I'm like, I can't help it. (laughs) So frustrated. Six days.